The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're going to be looking at God's Word this morning, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. If you brought a Bible, open it. Maybe you've got a phone with an app on it. You can turn on that to John chapter 16 as we look at God's Word together. John chapter 16. Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says uh, in John chapter 16, and find it in my Bible, beginning in verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, judgment. You say those three words with me, sin, righteousness, judgment. Let's say them one more time. Sin, righteousness, judgment. We're going to be looking at those three words in depth this morning. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Father, we have worshiped in song and we have come into your presence as a body to hear from you. And Holy Spirit, you tell us, you guide us into truth. So we ask you this morning, as we talk about you and your role in our lives, to guide us into truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. By the way, all my UMHB folks, 91 points yesterday. Your basketball team does not average 91 points. That's amazing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's crazy. They scored 91 points yesterday. Moffins didn't gain 91 yards yesterday. We're in, the upper, we're in the upper room discourse, upper room discourse, John 13 to 17. There are five times in John's gospel in the upper room discourse where Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, speaks about the Holy This is the fifth of those passages. And so we're looking at the Holy Spirit as Jesus speaks to it. And this morning, I'm going to broaden that out and talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And look at this section, but then we're going to broaden out and do a little theological study along the way so that can happen. There are a lot of questions regarding the Holy Spirit. I mean, over the years, Bev and I have been asked question after question after question. First of all, who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? And uh, how, how does he minister to us? And what kind of relationship are we to have with him? And what about spiritual gifts and these gifts I hear, these sign gifts of tongues and miracles and healings? And uh, what about these people I see on TV where people bolt out of wheelchairs and they get slain in the spirit and these things happen? How, how come that doesn't happen here? How come it happened to you? Or maybe it has. And other questions like, uh, how can I live my life empowered by the Holy Spirit? And I really want Pastor Gary to have the fruit of the Spirit active in my life, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. But how does that happen? How, how does that happen? How do I begin to have that fruit exemplified in my life? A lot of questions regarding the Holy Spirit. A lot of theologians would say that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten person of the Trinity for many, many years. Not much emphasis placed upon the Holy Spirit, not much study done in the Holy Spirit, not many churches talked about the Holy Spirit. But in the last generation, that's changed. Sadly, the camps have become divided in some ways. They're on one, on one, one, one extreme, you've got the wild-eyed charismatic who are always getting visions, dreams, words of knowledge, and prophetic utterances. On the other hand, you have what I'll call traditionalists who say, if somebody raises their hand in worship, they need to have it sliced off. I, I mean, there are two extremes out there, aren't there? And so who is the Holy Spirit? What is his role? How do we draw upon his power to live the spiritual life? How does that work? Who is he? 
And so this morning, we're going to look specifically at the passage before us, but then we're going to broaden that study and talk about him and his role in our lives altogether. Let me give you the context. Here's the context. Jesus has turned to his disciples and said, I'm leaving, you can't come. Remember that? All the way back in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to tell you what I told the Jews. And he told them that a couple of chapters earlier in John's gospel, chapter 12. He says, I'm leaving and you can't follow me. And the disciples beside themselves. Not only that, but he's announced that Judas was going to betray him and Peter was going to deny him. And so Jesus told the disciples, he says, guys, I I know this is hard on you. In fact, in John 15, one, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Their hearts are troubled. They've heard Jesus is leaving, they can't follow, that Judas is a betrayer, that Peter is a denier. And not only that, but if you were with us last week when Tim Cartwright spoke, we saw he told them the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me. So not only am I leaving you and Peter's going to deny me and Judas is going to betray me, but the world's going to hate you. And not only that, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, they're going to kill you. And when they kill you, they think they're offering service to God. And they walked out of the room singing, oh, happy day, right? I mean, imagine. Imagine you, you've been following Christ for three years, and he says, by the way, boys, I'm taken off. Peter's going to deny. Judas is going to betray. You're going to be persecuted. The world's going to hate you, and you're going to die. Who wants to sign up for that army? I mean, that's the scenario we're looking at. That's the context of John chapter 16. But repeatedly, Jesus has said, even though these things are true, Even though Judas is going to betray, even though Peter's going to deny, even though the world's going to hate you, and even though you're going to be persecuted even to death, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send a paraclete, one who comes alongside you, a counselor, a comforter, an advocate, the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's the context of John chapter 16. We look at the entirety of the gospel, specifically this upper room discourse. That's what we're talking about. And in John chapter 16, the passage I just read, verses 7 through 12 in particular, really Jesus was talking about the unbeliever. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the unbeliever? This is a person that entrusted Christ as Savior. What is his role? Is the Holy Spirit active at all in the life of the unbeliever? And we're going to see the role of the Holy Spirit and the unbeliever is to convict them, to bring them under conviction. And I get that from reading this passage. If you look at verse 7, he begins by saying, first of all, I want you to know it's my, to your advantage I go away. And the disciples, put yourself in their, in their shoes right now, or their sandals, I guess. Uh, they would say, really? I mean, really, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you're the Messiah, you're the Prince of Peace, you're the wonderful counselor, and it's better for you to go away. The, the word advantageous there, to your advantage, means beneficial or profitable. It's profitable to you that I leave. I mean, what he's saying, you understand what he's saying? The age that we live in right now, the church age, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The day we live in is more advantageous than the time when Jesus walked on this planet. That's what he's saying. He's saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. You see, what what we know is, is that Jesus departed so the Holy Spirit could be imparted. Jesus departed, Jesus left our planet, he, he was resurrected, he was ascended, so the Spirit of God could come. In Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, that's what takes place. The Spirit of God is poured out in the church. And Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's beneficial or profitable, that's what that particular word means. It's advantageous that I go away. Well, how is that? I mean, that's like telling a kid, you know, vegetables are better for you than ice cream. And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you tell me that, and I go, yeah, 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 yeah. He says, listen, I'm leaving. It's to your advantage. The advantage is this. When Jesus came to earth, he came as a man, right? 
fully God, fully man. He can only be one place at one time. So he comes to Israel, and he's where he is with the disciples. He's in various places throughout Israel. Never left the boundaries of Israel. He leaves, and the Spirit of God comes, and the Spirit of God is in you, and it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in you, and he's in you, and he's in you, and he's in me. And we should say, praise God, because the advantage is the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, at the point of your salvation, indwells you. Amen? And because of that, it's to our advantage. I mean, most of us say, man, I wish I could walk where Jesus walked. When Jesus walked there to be next to him? And he said, no, 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 no. You've got a greater advantage right now. Most of us really don't believe that. And he's saying, yes, you do, because the Spirit of God has come to live in you. So he turns to the disciples and he says, it's your advantage that I go away. Then he talks about the unbeliever. He talks about the unbeliever. And if you look at verse 8, it says, when he comes, he will convict the world. Convict the world. The word convict there is a legal term. By the way, there's a, there's a plot that's going on in John's gospel. He uses legal terminology over and over. This is legal terminology. Earlier we saw when we studied the, uh, chapter 11, uh, we saw that Jesus turned to the Pharisees and says, you think I'm on trial, you're really the ones on trial. And then when he says in John 14, I'm going to leave, he says, I'm going to send you an advocate. It's a legal term. An advocate is like a lawyer, one who intercedes for us, one who defends us. The, the legal term in E is going through the gospel of John. And now he says he will convict you. Well, we know what that means. It means to declare someone as guilty. That's what the word means. It means to declare someone as guilty. In fact, in uh, the Greek dictionary I have, it says it's, it, it's the verdict by which the guilt of a criminal is defined and fixed. In fact, once a criminal is convicted, we call him a what? A convict. We get the same word. We move from the noun form to the verb. He is a convict. And so the the unbelieving world is convicted, found guilty. So the Holy Spirit becomes the prosecutor, if you will. Jesus says, you think I'm on trial? You're the ones on trial. Jesus says, I'm a senior advocate, a legal term, one who intercedes for you one who defends you. And now he says that there's one that's going to come who's going to convict you. He is going to be the one who prosecutes you because you're guilty. What are you guilty of? What is the world guilty of? Well, if you look at verse 8, when he comes, he's going to convict the world concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. We just repeated that. Concerning sin, because I don't believe in me. The Holy Spirit will convict the unbelieving world of their sinfulness. By the way, it doesn't say sins there, does it? Look in your Bibles. It doesn't say sins. It says sin, singular. You see, the issue is not the sins that we commit. The issue is the sin within us. Sin is singular. The root is sin, our sin nature, the fruit or the deeds that we do that are sinful. And so he says, the Spirit of God comes convicting the world of sin. We need to know that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The greatest sin is a sin of unbelief, and that's what he says here. The Holy Spirit convicts because they do not believe, because of their unbelief. You remember when you came under conviction of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember that day? day when you, you, you were helplessly, hopelessly lost and became aware of it. And you trusted Christ as your Savior. I was five years old. I was a little chubby, short, bald guy, five years old. I got on my knees with my mama, dear godly mama who went to glory a year ago, a year and a half ago. And my mom led me to faith in Jesus. And I wish I could tell you I walked with the Savior all the subsequent years. I didn't. The Lord wooed me back to him. I didn't lose my salvation, but I walked away from him for a season. But at that time, my life was hopelessly, was miraculously transformed. 
You remember the conviction? I was a little kid. I remember sitting in that little Baptist church in a suburb of New Orleans, and that preacher would preach, and my, heart, my little heart would beat out of my chest because the Spirit of God was convicting me. You remember that day in your life? For some of you, it's right now. You're hearing this message, and you've not yielded your life to Christ or trust Him as your Savior. Your heart is beating out of your chest. I've watched people, I've done this for 37 years. I've watched people, they're like third graders in a classroom when the teacher calls on them and they don't know the answer. What do you do if you're a third grade, teacher doesn't know you, and she's going to call on somebody? You duck behind the person in front of you, right? I've watched people duck for 37 years. They always say, Pastor Gary, he always keeps his one, he always keeps his one good eye on me the whole time he's preaching. <laughs> well, first of all, if you're sitting over there, I can't see you no matter what. <laughs> he never takes his eyes off of me the whole time he's talking. You know what that is, my friends? That's the convicting ministry of the Spirit of God in your life. And I pray for this. I pray that when you're convicted, you'll respond in repentance, not rejection. So let me stop this morning right now. For some of you right now, your heart is beating out of your chest. You don't want to make eye contact with me. That's the Spirit of God speaking to your heart. And I pray right now you just humble your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of running. And I want you to be my Savior today. The Spirit of God convicts regarding sin for those in unbelief. And then he goes on and he says he convicts concerning righteousness. There's only one person who's righteous. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, I'm going to go to the Father, meaning the resurrection will vindicate everything he said he was and who he is. And then after that, he says he's going to convict the world concerning judgment. Everybody's going to realize eventually that they're coming to judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. That's Satan. And he's saying, you don't want to be on that team. You want to be on a different team. You want to be following him because he's already lost. He was defeated at the cross. So why would you follow him? And so the Spirit of God convicts regarding sin and righteousness and judgment to turn the heart of the unbeliever, shining the spotlight of conviction upon the heart of the unbeliever so they will turn to the living God. And my prayer is that happened in your life at some point in time, that if it hasn't, to recognize even right now that that opportunity remains available to you. By the way, the convictor here is not you, it's the Holy Spirit. We've got a lot of junior Holy Spirits in this room right now, right? We want to convict others. You've got an unbelieving husband. You go and set his truck on Caleb every morning so that comes on when he gets up. You've got an unbelieving wife. You put the latest Beth Moore bi- you know, commentary on or, or Bible study on her nightstand. and You've got kids that are wayward. And it's the Holy Spirit who eventually draws men and women to the Savior. And so that's the role of the Holy Spirit to the unbeliever. What about the whole role of the Holy Spirit to the believer? In this passage, Jesus points out in verse 13, He says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. What's he talking about? Well, in the next chapter, in the priestly prayer of Christ, he says, sanctify them in truth. Thy what? Thy word is truth. And so he says, Spirit of God will guide you into truth. You've got the truth of the word in your hand. This is the only book you will ever read where the author is always present, always with you. Author's always with you. And so as you pick up this book, it's called the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He illuminates the text. He allows it to see the text through spiritual eyes. You remember before you had, when you were an unbeliever, you would pick up the Bible and say, this is too hard to read. It doesn't make sense. 
And then you come to faith in Christ and all of a sudden things begin to make sense. It's because the author of the book, the Spirit of God, lives within you and he illuminates a text. And so he allows your, your, your mind, your heart, and your life to see what is written there. And so he will guide you into truth. And not only that, but look at verse 14. He shall glorify me, he shall take of mine, and shall disclose it to you. The work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit he draws people to the Savior. He glorifies Jesus. And so in that process, what he's doing, he's drawing people to the Savior, and he's saying, look at the Savior. I've asked Bev to help me with this illustration real quickly. So, babe, come up here. Would you thank my wife for coming up here? By the way, last week we celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary. She, she deserves a lot, a lot of medals, okay? So in this illustration, she is the Savior. She is Jesus. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. What the Holy Spirit does, he says, come, come, come. This is the Savior. Glorify him. Glorify him. Look upon him. He draws people to him. That's the role of the Spirit. The hidden person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and he draws people to the Savior. Thank you, baby. Love you. That is the role of the Holy Spirit, to draw people to the Savior, to glorify the Savior, and, and to make sure that we see the Savior clearly. That's what John 16 teaches. You know I'm going to let you out 20 minutes early, though. So we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit. We're going to broaden it out some and look at uh, the theological concepts of the Holy Spirit. To the unbeliever, it's conviction. To the believer, it's to bring glory, and as well to... Guide us into truth. So, Jim, if you'll go, oh, yeah, there we go. I got it now. So, uh, here's a little diagram for you. The role of the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at him as convictor, right? He's the one that convicts us. How do you respond to that? Well, what we said is confession, right? When the Holy Spirit draws a person to himself, our prayers, they'll respond through confession. In 1 John 4 15, it says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so what we pray is, is that our response to the Holy Spirit will be one of confession. Another role of the Holy Spirit is comforter, comforter. He's the one who comforts us. In John 14, 26, it says, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name. In John 15, 26, when the comforter comes, whom I shall send to you. Some of you have gone through really difficult times and you've been comforted by the Spirit of God. Maybe you experienced a loss. Maybe a spouse has passed away, a child has passed away, a mom or a dad's passed away. Maybe you've gone through really difficult times at work or in your family and you've been comforted by the Spirit of God. So what do we do with that? How should we respond to the comfort of the Holy Spirit? We respond by comforting others. He doesn't doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us so we can comfort others. In fact, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that, there's there's our clause, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we've received from God. So he comforts us. We go through these deep valleys and he comforts us so that we can comfort others. I wrote in my notes these words. Who best to comfort the person who's just miscarried than a woman who's gone through that same heartbreaking experience? And who better to comfort the person who just lost a spouse, a child, or a parent than one who walked through those deep waters? And who better to come alongside and comfort someone in a troubled marriage or with a prodigal child than someone else who cried themselves to sleep night after night after gone through that same experience? 
And who better to come alongside and comfort somebody who's lost a job, experienced financial loss, or been in terrible straits or trouble than one who has gone that place themselves? And who better to comfort the person in the throes of depression and struggles than the person who has experienced that same darkness and come out on the other side? God did not comfort you in the midst of that just to make you comfortable. He took you through those deep waters of divorce and depression and disease and disaster so that you can become a comfort to others in the body of Christ. That's why we're here. And so don't hide from your past. Thank God for the waters he's taken you through. And then ask him to give you spiritual eyes to see others around you so you can minister to them through your brokenness and through the healing that he's brought to you in these situations. As you think of an area in your life that God's comforted you, I pray that you will become a comforter to others. Just show up. Just listen. Just be there. A man put up a sign in his yard that read puppies for sale. Among those who came to inquire was a young boy. He said, Mr., I'd like to buy one of your puppies. How much do they cost? Well, son, they're $50. And the boy looked crushed. He said, I only have $5. Could I see them anyway? Sure thing, said the man. Well, maybe we can work something out. The lad's eyes danced at the sight of five little balls of fur, all playing inside at some chicken wire. And the man said he could go in and look at him. And he said, I understand you've got one with a bad leg. And he said, that's him over there. That's the puppy I want. Could I pay? Uh, the man uh, responded, but she'll always have a limp. She, she, she won't be able to run like these other puppies when she gets older. Smiling bravely, the boy pulled up his pant leg and revealed a brace on it. And he said, I don't walk too good either. I know what she needs. She'll need a lot of love and care. That's what I needed. And the man looked at him and said, she's your son. Take her home. You know, it's a touching story, isn't it? A touching story about a, a puppy, and we love puppies, I love puppies, but let me tell you, sitting next to you today is somebody who needs the comfort of God. And you've been through those troubled waters, and you can function through the power of the Holy Spirit to be his comforter to people who are broken and in need right now. Pray for spiritual eyes to see those that have that need. The Holy Spirit comforts us. And the result, we should go out and comfort others. The Holy Spirit keeps us. He keeps us. In Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 13, it says, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at the end of this. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And then in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, we know what a seal is, right? A king would take a signet ring or somebody in authority would take a signet ring. They'd place it in hot wax and they would strap it across something or maybe it's an envelope. And that seal could not be broken. That letter could not be opened unless the owner, he authenticated that and he gave security to that. That it's the only time that seal could be broken. In fact, you remember the tomb of Christ? They sealed it. You remember that? It says they sealed the tomb of Christ because they were afraid that, that the disciples would come and steal the body or that somebody would break in and take it and proclaim he's alive. The Spirit of God has sealed your heart until the day of redemption. That's when you go to glory. So you know what, my friend? You don't have to ever live in fear of losing your salvation. You have to say, oh, I've committed the sin, so God, God's going to disown me. He will never, ever do that. <laughs> 
because you were sealed with the Spirit. You are His. He's placed His authenticity upon your heart. That signet ring is upon your heart and you will always be His. In fact, you have confidence because of that. You can have confidence in your salvation, not because of what you've done, but because the Spirit of God alive in you. In Romans 8, Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present, nor things in the future, nor any power, nor any height, any depth, nothing at all of God's creation can separate you from the love that God, uh, love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You never have to worry about being separated from the living God. Amen? You have to live in fear of that if you truly know Christ as Savior. Finally, he's our controller. Now, this is a present tense ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're kept, that's done. He comforts as we go. He convicts the unbeliever. He controls us. That comes from Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk on wine. That's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. A person who's drunk on wine is controlled by something other than themselves. A person filled with the Spirit is controlled by something other than themselves. The drunk person is controlled by wine. The Spirit-filled person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. He says, you've, you've got to be filled, present tense, daily. This is something that we, Spirit of God, fill me, use me. It's submission to the Spirit of God on a daily basis. That's where the power to live the spiritual life comes from. As we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, as He fills us daily. And then we have the power to go out and live the spiritual life. And that's when our character develops. So the fruit of the Spirit is on active display through us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience faithfulness, goodness, kindness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. A law can't do that. Law will not accomplish that. The only thing accomplished is the Spirit of God living through you. So let me ask you a question. If your love is not growing, maybe it's because you're not being filled with the Spirit. If you don't have joy in the midst of circumstances, no matter how bad they are, maybe it's because you're not filled with the Spirit. And what we see here is that God begins to change us internally through the power of the Spirit who lives within us. And when that happens, when that happens, we become different men or women. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to a lost world because he convicts the lost world of sinfulness and draws them to the Savior. And it's God's gift to his followers because he comforts us, he keeps us, and he controls us. When we live our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we recognize it's not us, but Him living through us. And therefore, we're different men and women as a result of it. About seven or eight years ago, a pastor in our community came to me and he said, uh, Pastor Gary, I'm concerned about Temple Bible Church. And I said, well, me too. I've been here a long time and I'm always concerned about Temple Bible Church. But when a fellow pastor tells you that, you sit up and pay attention, right? And I said, what concerns you? And he said, uh, I'm concerned that there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your body. So it got my attention. I mean, you know, you've got a fellow pastor who tells you that. I mean, you sit up and pay attention. And uh, at first I was offended. What do you mean there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our body? And then he went on to explain he uh, didn't see certain gifts in operation at Temple Bible Church doing services. And that was his way of saying the Holy Spirit was not working in our body. And I said, brother, I think there are other evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in a church. It's when lost people get saved. 
It's when broken marriages are repaired. It's when lives are transformed and saved. It's when people drop baggage at the foot of the cross and overcome addictions and marriages are reconciled and prodigals come home and betrayed people don't spew in bitterness. So I was putting it together. I was thinking this Sunday in my office this past week about this Sunday. I thought, there's a lot of evidence in this room of the Holy Spirit at work. So let me do this. If you came to know Christ through the ministry here at TBC, would you stand up? You got saved right here at TBC. Take a look around this room. That is the evidence of the Spirit of God at work. Look at that. If you were in a marriage that was a dead end, a dead end, but cold, maybe went through separation, divorce, I don't know what, but God restored that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand up? Your dead marriage came alive again. Look at these friends. All the way over here. Everywhere. Look at that. If you were that bitter, angry person who spewed all the time and said vile stuff, but God cleaned up your heart and therefore it changed everything in your speech, would you stand up? You no longer have that heart of bitterness. You no longer have that heart of unforgiveness. You no longer have that. Take a look at our friends that are standing up over here. I go on and on and on and on and on. I go on and on and on. One of the great joys of being here for so long is seeing the transformation of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of you. And you encourage me. And I say to God be the glory, great things he's done. Let's all stand. Father, it's real easy to walk on this journey in our own power. And we don't want that. We desire more than anything else for the Spirit of God to fill us and to use us. You did not comfort us to make us comfortable. You've comforted us so we can become comforters. Displaying your Spirit to a lost and dying world. Convicts, people who are guilty, who need to be set free. I pray that you've done that this morning in the hearts of some folks who are here whose hearts beat out of their chest even right now. My friend, don't go away without Jesus today. Others of us, we've been living in our own power and today's a day of confession. Spirit of God, we ask you to fill us and to empower us this day and every day so that like you, we'll glorify our Savior in all that we do. In his name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you.